Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Luke chapter 6 now, and we are going to take up two Sabbath controversies. In our last audio, Jesus defended his disciples for fasting, for feasting rather than fasting. Then, according to my Robertson Harmony, Jesus goes down to Jerusalem at a feast, and he heals somebody on the Sabbath, a lame man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees get all upset with him. This is in John 5, 1 through 47, which we'll take up when we get to the Gospel of John. Now we come back to Luke, chapter 6, 1 through 5, discusses the Sabbath controversy when the disciples plucked ears of grain as they were traveling out of a grain field. Now this is covered very well in Mark and Matthew. I've got a good discussion in Mark on Mark 2 verses 23 through 28. So I'm going to splice that in right now. And that splice begins now. Moving on to Mark chapter 2 verse 23. We read this. On the Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. And his disciples began to make their way picking some heads of grain. Now it's important to point out this was on a Sabbath day. Because this is what engendered the following controversy. Verse 24 says this, The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? In the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 2, the Pharisees didn't speak directly to Jesus. They spoke to the disciples, but some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The reconciliation of that is he, they complained to both Jesus and the disciples. Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 25 through 26 goes on, Jesus And he, Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, Have you never read, and that's sort of a, a little ironic slap at them, I think. You Pharisees are supposed to be such believers and are supposed to be so knowledgeable in the law, and you've never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the sacred bread. This is when David was running from Saul. He had some soldiers with him. They were out of food, and they showed up at Nob, or Nob, Nob, I guess it is, north of Jerusalem, where the tabernacle was being kept by the high, by the high priest there. Verse 26 in Mark 2, how he entered the house of God, how David entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the sacred bread. And that was the bread that was laid out on the table of showbread, the bread of the presence it was called, or the showbread. It was supposed to symbolize that God was the bread of life for Israel. It was kept in the table in the holy place, and it was specifically forbidden in the Levitical law for anybody except a consecrated priest to eat that bread. David was not a priest, nor was his soldiers, and he ended up eating that bread. How David entered the house of God and ate the bread, showbread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except a priest, and also gave some to his companions. So not only David, but his companions, his soldier friends, ate that consecrated holy bread. Verse 27, Then he, Jesus, told them, the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man and man's Sabbath. Now, the purpose of the Sabbath was a spiritual, mental, and physical restoration through rest. It, by the way, it was not meant for a worship day. They were supposed to worship God all the time. This was for a rest day. And it was supposed to be symbolized. It was a day of rest to symbolize that spiritual rest which we enter into when we believe in Jesus, as in Hebrews ch chapter 4. It's a type of the spiritual rest we have in Christ. Jesus finishes up in verse 28, Mark 2, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, I'm going to use Matthew, the parallel passages in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. And also we're going to look at a little bit in Luke chapter 6, 1 through 6, I think it is. 1 through 7. Excuse me, 1 through 5. We're going to use those two parallel passages. And we're going to look at this issue, which is sort of complicated. Now, it was real easy for Jesus to defend the charge against his disciples that he was violating the law because he wasn't. He wasn't violating the law, and we'll show that. 
But what makes this thing a little bit complicated is that Jesus used an example to defend his disciples from the Old Testament in which David did break the law of Moses, obviously broke the law of Moses. Well, in my opinion, what Jesus is doing is using an offertory argument. He's saying, look, if David can break the law of Moses and nobody complains about that, well, then our, my disciples haven't broken the law of Moses, so even more, a fortiori, even more are they innocent of breaking the Sabbath. So having said that, let's, let's start with Matthew 12, 1 here and, and point out that, just make the argument that the disciples were not breaking any law. The reason I say that is because the law in Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, says this. When you enter your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck heads of grain with your hand, but you must not put a sickle to your neighbor's grain. So there's no question it was all right for the disciples to pluck. But the problem was, was it all right to pluck on Saturday? And that was what the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus on. Now, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures were unclear, or excuse me, not unclear, but did not say anything about plucking on the Sabbath. They just said it's illegal to do servile work on the Sabbath. Now, the question is, is doing, is picking grains doing servile work on the Sabbath? Now, there's no question it violated the rabbinic laws that were added to Moses. That's not a question. You know, the Pharisaical laws, yes, they had a rule against doing that. You were supposed to pluck and rub in your hands the day before the Sabbath. But that's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about now, was it illegal to do servile work? Well, I don't see how anybody can say that plucking grains on the Sabbath is doing servile work. Servile work was work which was done in order to make a living. Jesus gave a lot of examples in his ministry of when it was perfectly all right to do good on the Sabbath, which is just another way of saying that doing good on the Sabbath is not servile work. Now, my NIV study Bible says that Jesus is basing his defense here of his disciples plucking on Sabbath. He was basing it on the principle of they're hungry, they, they, they need something good needs to be done for them on the Sabbath. And that's one way you can look at it. Let me give you some examples of what Jesus said was okay to do on the Sabbath, which was not considered a violation of the Sabbath. This is in Luke chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good? Or, Well, of course it's lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good. And all the rabbis acknowledged that. Then, then he, he healed a man whose uh, hand was withered. Luke chapter 13, verses, verse 14. The leader of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? In other words, look, the ox is hungry. He needs to eat. It's not servile labor to lead your ox to eat water on the Sabbath. And to interpret the Mosaic prohibitions against work on the Sabbath that way is absurd. It leads to unkindness and cruelty. And then he healed the woman with the issue of blood for 18 years. After saying that, Luke chapter 14 he asked the Pharisees in verse 3, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man and healed him. And then he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Well, you have to work, you know, when you pull an ox out of the well, but it's, it's doing good. So you see, the Pharisees were taking the Mosaic prohibitions against working on the Sabbath and carrying them to an absurd extreme. Where you, you could, I mean, if you think about it, the physical definition of work, if, you, if I lift my little finger, I did work in the, in the physics sense of the word, I did work. But that's not what Jesus, that's not what Moses meant. And so I think that Jesus' defense would have been ironclad just by saying, look, they're hungry, they need to eat. The law allows plucking a neighbor's grain. 
they're not doing work in the sense of the, uh, that Moses meant, and, and he gave all these other examples. He could, he, could give, he could have given all those other examples. So right there, his defense is already ironclad. But now he goes back and he uses David's adventure in the house of Ahimelech, the high priest at Nob, Nob, excuse me, in in the book of Samuel to defend his actions. First Samuel twenty-one one through six. Now, let me read that passage to you. David went to, well, first of all, we need to deal with a minor problem here. Ahimelech, in 1 Samuel 21, it says that David went to Ahimelech, the priest. But in Mark 2, where we are now, verse 25 and 26, Jesus says that David entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest. So Mark, Jesus says Abiathar, 1 Samuel 21 says Ahimelech, what's the, what's the, this two different priests? There's several ways you can reconcile that. First of all, perhaps both Ahimelech and Abiathar were high priests. For after all, in the time of Jesus' crucifixion, both Annas and Caiaphas were called high priests. Annas, the being the oldest high priest, who passed it on to his son-in-law, or later it came to his son-in-law. Or it could have been that in First Samuel twenty-one one, the scripture does not say that Ahimelech was the high priest. It just says he was a priest. David went to Ahimelech the priest. So it could have been that. It was the time of Abiathar who was the high priest, but it was Ahimelech who gave the bread to David. I think that's the easiest way to reconcile it right there. could be a transcription error by scribes, according to BibleStudyTools.com. I don't like to go to that unless it's necessary. I think the easiest way to say is that Ahimelech was not the high priest. He was just a priest. It doesn't really matter except to uh, point out that the Bible does not have errors in it and to defend against blasphemous liberal Protestants who love to say that the Bible's got errors in it and therefore we can't believe, we can't trust the Bible. All right, so having said that, we see that David, excuse me, I was going to finish quoting to you 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. David went to Ahimelech the priest at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David. And the reason was is David was fleeing from Saul, and if the high priest was siding with David, Saul could get mad and kill Ahimelech, so he was afraid. And he said, why are you alone and no one is with you? In other words, what are you doing up here with a body of soldiers by yourself? David answered Ahimelech the priest. The king gave, him, um, gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I've ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men in a certain place. Now, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread. That means bread that's been made holy or dedicated to the Lord by going through the priestly rituals. But the young men may eat it only if they've kept themselves from women. Well, it's kind of interesting. It's superfluous. To, I mean, if you're going to eat bread that's consecrated for priests, you don't give it to people who aren't priests. What difference does it make whether they've had sex with a woman or not? But according, you know, that's the way these priests think. They're big on Levitical purifications and all. I'm not even sure that's in the Scriptures. That might have been something that added to the Old Testament Scripture about not having sex before you go to war. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. In other words, we haven't touched anything unclean even as we go out, not even going to battle, but just going out on a routine patrol. We're consecrated. We're holy. Don't worry about it, Abiathar. Ahimelech, excuse me. Give us the bread. We're hungry. For there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, that's the showbread, that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's debated whether this was on Saturday or not, Sabbath. It usually is removed on, sab on, on Saturday, and so I'm going to assume that. When the bread was removed, it, it had been replaced with warm bread. Since it, re it was replaced with warm bread, that was usually done on the Sabbath day. Now, you can't really tell from reading this passage where David ate the old bread only or the bread that was currently in the temple. 
But really, the Jews said it in the case of hunger, both could be eaten, whether it was in the temple or not in the temple. Case of necessity. But since David only took five and not twelve, I assume that David took the old showbread, maybe the seven loaves had already been eaten by a priest, because he only took five. Seems like if he was hungry and had men with him, he would have taken all the old twelve. It was already on the table of showbread currently in the temple. Now, Jesus goes on in Matthew 12, verses 5 through 6 in our parallel passage. Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days, the priest in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? Now, what he's talking about here is the priest got to do a lot of work on the Sabbath, and that's not breaking the law. They had to skin the animals. They had to, let's see, what did all they have to do? They had to skin the animals. They had to bake the bread, although some people say they broke the bread. They baked the bread the day before, and they kept it hot in an oven, waiting to when they replaced it on Saturday. But at any rate, they had to do a lot of work, even on Saturday, and they're innocent. They didn't break the law, and so Jesus, again, is making an a fortiori argument. He said, look, he says, the priests are working on Saturday. They're not breaking the law. They're not doing servile labor. My disciples, they, they worked a little bit when they plucked the grain, but they didn't break any, any law. They didn't break the law. And then he finishes it all up by saying, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Of course, that's Jesus is here. By the way, there's another scripture I didn't read earlier where you can do work on the Sabbath and not violate the law. Jesus in John 7, verses 22 through 23 said this, You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? So you see, circumcising a man on the Sabbath was work. So you had to work in order to keep the, the ritual provisions of the Old Testament law. And if you had to work to do that, why is it, why isn't it okay for my men to eat pluck grains and work on the Sabbath, if you want to call that work, especially since the law said it was all right to pluck grains. Jesus goes on in Matthew twelve seven. if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Now, again, it was so easy to defend the disciples against breaking the law for plucking the grains. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, though. Why are you nitpicking here, you Pharisees? You don't care that my disciples were hungry. All you are interested in is condemnation. You don't care what's legal, you don't care what's just, and you don't care, desire mercy. Of course, that desire and mercy and not sacrifice, that's, has a, uh, that comes from the Old Testament. Hosea 6, 6 says, For I desire loyalty, and NIV says mercy. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. That doesn't mean he was against the burnt offerings or against the law. You know, fine, he wanted the burnt offerings to go, but what he's saying is don't do the burnt offerings and throw the mercy out. Matthew nine thirteen, he said this again, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this is a, a this is a common plea of Jesus as he fights legalism. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now Jesus says here in Matthew twelve seven, if you had known what this means, he's mocking them because they're supposed to know everything. Their reputation for their knowledge was very great. He was also mocking their humanity. If you'd known what mercy meant for condemning disciples for for plucking a few ears of grain, and then he finishes in Matthew twelve eight, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I am more important than all your stupid rabbinical laws. I am even more important than the Old Testament law. Because remember, he used the example of David who broke not the Pharisees' traditions. He broke the Old Testament law. doesn't matter. He said he was Lord of the Sabbath. And he pointed out an example where David broke the Sabbath unquestionably. And no rabbi ever complained about that. So why are you complaining about my disciples who have not broken an Old Testament law, but have merely broken the laws of the Pharisees? And you might get upset about breaking the traditions of the elders, but I'm not, because I'm Lord of the Sabbath. So let me summarize this. Jesus defends the, his disciples based upon the law of necessity, 
which is the same thing as saying doing good on the Sabbath. Your ox falls in the ditch. It was be, it'll be, it'll, it's necessary to get him out of the ditch. It's doing good to get him out of the ditch. So that's the same way of saying the law of necessity or doing good on the Sabbath. This is the way most commentators take it, and I do too. But I point out further that he used an example of David of the Old Testament where it it, it truly was a matter of necessity, and so there's a parallel between the Old Covenant example and and Jesus' current New Covenant situation of his disciples eating grain on the Sabbath. There is a parallel there. However, there's something more, it's something deeper. David broke the Old Covenant law because of necessity. And if he could do that, well, why can't the disciples break a Pharisaical law based on necessity? It's clear that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and to start putting out rules about whether you can watch the Super Bowl on Sunday, whether you can cut the grass on Sunday, and to have those Sabbatarian rules thrown at you by preachers who are working their buns off on Sunday, it is not only hypocritical, it is foolish. And besides, most Reformed people can't even agree on what's doing work on the Sunday Sabbath. By, and by the way, I thought the Sabbath was on a Saturday, not on a Sunday. All right, now we'll finish up our audio today by taking up verses 6 through 11 in Luke 6. This is discussing the controversy with the Pharisees over the healing of a man with a withered hand in a synagogue that's in Galilee somewhere. And it's paralleled in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and Matthew 12, verses 9 through 14. I have a good discussion of this in Mark, in my audio on Mark 3, 1 through 6. And so I'm going to splice that in, in here. And that audio begins now. I'm in Mark chapter 3. We just finished up with a Sabbath controversy where Jesus, where Jesus' disciples were accused of breaking the Sabbath because they plucked grain in the grain field as they walked by. Jesus finishes that chapter up by saying, The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, as he proved to his detractors and his disciples' accusers that, no, the law had not been broken. So now we take up with another Sabbath controversy in Mark chapter 3. Starting reading verses 1 and 2. Now he entered the synagogue again. We're not sure which synagogue that is. It might be at Capernaum. It might be somewhere else. He entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. The they, as we'll see later, is the Pharisees who were following him around, trying to find a reason to accuse him. And here we see they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. In other words, they were looking for a reason, as one translation puts it. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They were not interested in an objective evaluation of the facts. Notice that they were not doubting that Jesus could heal. They'd already seen enough of that. They knew he could heal. Well, the question was, would he heal on the Sabbath? And this is something for those who deny the miracles of Jesus. If Jesus didn't do those miracles, why would not his blood enemies ever have complained about these fake miracles? Why would they have not have said, He's not the Messiah. He's not doing miracles. They never said that because there was too much evidence. Too many people who had seen the miracles done, they couldn't deny it. We go to Mark chapter 3, verse 3. He told the man with the paralyzed hand, stand before us. Now, we're going to see when we go to Matthew and Luke in the parallel passages that Jesus got into a little controversy with the Pharisees, shut them up with their own law, made them look like fools. We'll get to that in a minute. That having been taken care of, he now tells the paralytic to stand before us. Now, why did he tell the paralytic, the man with the paralyzed hand, why did he, why did he say stand before the crowd? 
Here's four possible reasons, all of which are probably true. First of all, it would raise attention of the people to the miracle that was about to occur. It would elicit, secondly, it would elicit pity of the crowd when they saw the withered hand. Third thing it would do, it would show how hard-hearted the Pharisees were because they did not want to see such a pitiful man healed. And the fourth thing that it would do is prove there was no fraud involved because everybody could see the miracle was being done. And by the way, this is why I think that every person doing miracles today, and they do do miracles today, cessationists, you are living in a box with blinders around your eyes if you think they're not being done today. But I would say that anybody that does do miracles today, you need to do such miracles in a way that they can be easily verified and attested to. Otherwise, you're going to have John MacArthur calling you a, or Todd Friel calling you a fringe winding. Verse 4, Mark chapter 3. Then he, Jesus, said to them, that's either the Pharisees that were tracking him or the whole crowd at the synagogue. It's not really clear, but I think it's the Pharisees. He said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Now, what Jesus is doing here is using a little bit of irony. He says, Well, you know, I'm trying to heal somebody. You're trying to kill me. Well, what's legal? Healing or killing on the Sabbath? You tell me according to your law, according to your traditions, and to your Pharisaic rabbinic teachings. What's legal? To do good or to kill? Well, obviously that was a little sarcastic, a little ironic, and it shut them slam up. Verse 5 in chapter 3 of Mark. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told, he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Now notice that Jesus was angry at the Pharisees' attitude toward him. It, And he had good reason to be. That's a classic example of righteous anger. You cannot say that anger per se is evil. There's nothing wrong with righteous anger. We we have an example of our sinless Lord and Savior Jesus Christ being righteously angry at something. But notice also that his anger was accompanied with sorrow. And that's kind of the way we ought to be. We ought to be angry at the people in New York who say you can kill babies up to the moment of their birth. The infanticidalist in New York City. Yeah, we ought to be angry with them in New York State. But we ought to also feel sorry for them because they're, they're looking for judgment. They're asking for it. Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Now the Herodians, prop, there's a bunch of options as to who these Herodians are. Nobody knows for sure. I'm just going to assume it's a group of Jews who are in favor of sucking up to the Roman Empire because Herod did that. Herod the Great and Herod Antipas, all of the Herods were the Roman rulers who were... What, how can you say it? They were they were Jews, proselytized Jews who were ruling under the authority of the Roman Empire. So that's probably who these were. And the Pharisees, of course, did not like being ruled by the Roman Empire because the Romans were constantly trampling on the law of Moses with their pagan stuff. So the Pharisees didn't like them. But here, as is usual, Jesus caused so much hatred and so much opposition that natural enemies allied against him. We see in several places the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who also hated each other, they were allied against Jesus. And now the Pharisees and the Herodians, unlikely allies, are allied against Jesus. And they are thinking about how they're going to destroy him. Now, were they excited because a man had been healed? A man had been paralyzed with a withered hand. Those Pharisees didn't give a flying flip rip about the fact that a miraculous healing had been done. All they could think about is, well, yeah, you broke our law, you broke our law. Now, did he break the Pharisees' law? Well, the Pharisees' law said that you could heal on the Sabbath if it was necessary to save a life. But if the person wouldn't die on the Sabbath and could make it to the next day, you weren't supposed to heal. Well, in that case, so Jesus did break the Pharisees' law. Not the Mosaic law, but the Pharisees' law. Because the man with the withered hand was obviously going to live through Saturday, he could make it to Sunday, and so Jesus could have waited around to heal him on Sunday. 
But Jesus was making it very clear. I'm not bound by your stupid, idiotic, rabbinic traditions. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he healed the man. Now let's go to the parallel passage in Luke chapter 6, pick up a few more details. On another Sabbath, he went into a synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. Well, now we see it's a right hand. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now notice that the Pharisees expected Jesus to heal. They weren't concerned about whether he could heal or not heal. They knew he was healing. Nobody could deny that. They showed no deference to the fact that a man is going around working incredible miracles. They didn't show any, any surprise or any humility about that fact. They didn't show any compassion to the man with the withered hand. All they were cared about was, was it healed on the Sabbath? Luke chapter 6, verses 8, but he knew their thoughts. How did he know their thoughts? Well, some people say through the Holy Spirit or because he's divine. That this is the typical question that arises when Jesus does something. That could, could be done either by his humanity or his divinity. I think it was his humanity here because it's, I think it's pretty obvious that these people were full of it. They were trying to get him. They, weren't, they, they were evil. So I don't think he needed divine help to know that these people were out to get him. Now, Jesus said, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? Well, in the Old Testament law of Moses, there was never a wrong day to do something truly good. The Pharisees' legal traditions had totally twisted the Old Testament law. Their laws promoted evil, not good. Now, their own law said there were many things which they allowed on the Sabbath, which otherwise were not lawful. For example, when life was in danger, you could heal. I'm going to quote you from John Gill in just a minute. Some rabbinic sayings that said if somebody's life was in danger, or if an ox caught in a pit or in a well was in danger, you could feed the ox. You could, you could pull the ox out if he couldn't make it till Sunday. The Jews itself took Jericho on the Sabbath day. That was considered necessity. So the, even the Pharisees had the exception of necessity in their prohibitions against doing things on the Sabbath. Now one more point here in Luke chapter 6, verse 10. When he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. So Jesus tells the man, I want you to stretch out your hand. The man immediately did what Jesus asked and obeyed him. He had faith and he had obedience. Faith and obedience would get us a long way. When Jesus tells you to do something, even if you think it might seem a little silly, well, because the man could say, well, you know, my hand's paralyzed, Jesus. It's withered. How can you say to a disabled man, stretch out your hand? I'm offended. If he was an American today, that's what he would say. But the man didn't quibble with Jesus. He just stretched his hand out. He stretched out a withered hand to show that he was healed. Now, see, it didn't work this way. Jesus takes his hand, he restores it, it's, it's healed, and then after it was healed, he stretched out his hand. It didn't work that way. He stretched out his hand first, and as he was stretching out his hand, it was healed. So my point here is, if you want Jesus to do something that goes beyond the natural, something supernatural for you, go ahead and do what he says. Now, I will say this. A lot of the faith people say, you know, do something like that, but they, don't, they leave out an important part. You have to do something at the behest of Jesus. You have to be told by the Holy Spirit, by God, to do something. Then if he tells you to do it, do it. But don't just go around saying, I'm going to do something crazy, and that's going to make God do something miraculous for me. That's making God into a genie. Jesus in the bottle. You rub it, and out he comes and says, yes, Massa. Yes, Massa, Dan, what can I do for you? No, that's not the way it works. Luke chapter 6, verse 11, But they were filled with rage, that's the Pharisees, and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. 
So here you have the Pharisees filled with rage and trying to kill somebody on the Sabbath. Did they break the Sabbath by trying to kill somebody on the Sabbath and being filled with rage on the Sabbath? Jesus, on the other hand, on the Sabbath, he healed a disabled man. And this is why rabbinic Judaism stunk to high heaven. All right, let's move to Matthew 12, starting with verse 9, as we pick up some more details in our parallel passage here. Moving on from there, that would be from the grain fields where the disciples had plucked corn and gotten the Pharisees all bent out of shape with them for allegedly violating the Sabbath, which they did not do. He entered their synagogue. As I said, the synagogue is ambiguous. We don't know where it is, although some people say it's Capernaum because afterwards he withdrew to the sea in Mark 3, verse 7, which I haven't gotten to yet. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and so forth. So it could very well be that same synagogue at Capernaum where Jesus cast out a demoniac one Sunday, but... I don't know why, Saturday, but nobody complained about that at that time. But they did complain about this man with a withered hand. So let's assume it's the synagogue of Capernaum, even though we don't know for sure. Now, I told you I'd read an example from Gil of what was allowed on on the Sabbath. Well, first of all, my NIV study Bible says, In general, rabbis permitted healing on the Sabbath if it were feared that the man would die the next day. And the man with the paralyzed hand is not going to die the next day, so Jesus did break the traditions of the Pharisees. But, however, having said that, we need to point out that the Pharisees themselves were not as tight as they could have been on that. They made exceptions for necessity. Here's an example of rabbinic teaching on the subject of healing on the Sabbath. Quote, this is from John Gill, quote, If a man had an ailment in his throat, he might not gargle it with oil, but he might swallow a large quantity of oil, and if he was healed, he was healed i.e. it was very well, it was no breach of the Sabbath. In other words, you can't gargle, but you can swallow. Now, what the distinction is, I don't know, but the rabbis said there's a big spiritual distinction between gargling and swallowing. Gargling is a no-no. Swallowing is spiritual and perfectly okay. They may not they may not chew mastic nor rub the teeth with spice. I don't know what mastic is, nor rub the teeth with spice on the Sabbath day when it is intended for healing. But if it is intended for the savor of his mouth, it's free. In other words, you can chew spice if you like the taste, but you can't rub your teeth with it if you're trying to heal your teeth with it. How stupid. It's obviously healing somebody who's not doing what the Old Testament calls servile labor, doing your your, your occupation in order to try to... to Live your 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 vocation. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about healing somebody on the Sabbath. This is another Sabbath day, by the way. Then the when the man was healed of the demoniac, it says on another Sabbath in Luke six six. Now here's an, uh, one little point here. There are possibly two reasons why Jesus even entered that synagogue. Did he go in there in order to cure the man with the withered hand, or did he go in there to worship at the synagogue to teach and then saw the man with the withered hand after he got there? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. If if he had not planned on healing the man, he didn't shy away from doing it when the opportunity arose. That's for sure. Matthew twelve eleven through 12 says this, and this is added to Mark's account. But he said to them, What man among you, if he had a sheep that, fall, that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A man is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Even the Pharisees would take their sheep that fell in a pit and lift it out. Now, the Pharisees actually had a law that said if the sheep could live, let me find that law for you. Somewhere in my notes here, where is it? Here's the rabbinic rule cited by Gill. If a beast fall into a ditch or a pool of water, if food can be given it where it is, they feed it till the going out of the Sabbath. 
But if not, bolsters and pillars, pillows may be brought and put under it, and if it can come out, it may come out. In other words, if that animal can live till Sunday, leave it in the pit. Feed him to keep him alive until Sunday, then pull him out. But if he's not going to live till Sunday, you can pull him out on Saturday. So they had an exception of necessity here. And so when Jesus is, and assuming this rule was before the time of Christ, Jesus was saying, look, your own law says it's all right to pull an ox out of the ditch or or a sheep out of a pit. Your own rules say it's okay to do that. And so now you're complaining because I'm healing somebody on the Sabbath. What's more valuable, that sheep that you let people pull out of the pit or this man with a withered hand? Now, the rabbis could have said, yeah, but we want to keep the sheep in the pit if he can live until Sunday. And you could take that man with a withered hand and just let him wait around for another day until it's Sunday. Then you could heal him on Sunday. You wouldn't be breaking the Sabbath. But I don't, Jesus is not going to do that. He, he's not going to kowtow to these stupid rabbinic traditions. All right, I've returned from my splice. We're back in Luke chapter 6. We have just made it to Luke chapter 6, verse 11. My Robertson Harmony says that the next event in Jesus' great Capernaum ministry is that Jesus teaches and heals great multitudes by the Sea of Galilee. This is recorded in Mark 3, 7 through 12, and Matthew 12, 15 through 21, but not in Luke. The next event in Luke, which we'll take up in the next audio, is Jesus, after a night of prayer, Jesus selects his 12 apostles. That will be in Luke 6, 12 through 16. We'll do that in the next audio. I hope you enjoyed this one. 